I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord and the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has bestowed on us, and the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which he has bestowed on them according to his mercies, according to the multitude of his loving kindness. For he said, Surely they are my people, children who will not lie. So he became their savior. Welcome, everybody, to a podcast. This is A Faith That Makes Sense. I'm Wes Shuttleworth, and I'm here with... uh, Dan. And uh, we welcome you all. If you remember, this whole series is called Spellbound, How Western Christianity Became Enslaved to the Gods of This World. And yeah, we're on on episode seven here, and we're calling this one A Decision Not to Dance with Wolves. (laughs) Sounds intense, but sounds exciting too. You know, what are we... So, Dan... What are we talking about today? Wolves? Dancing? I'm not very good at dancing. I'm a Baptist, so we're not allowed to. I'm terrible, too. (laughs) Really bad. Um, No, I think the place we want to start today is uh, to kind of talk about how some people have conveyed to me about the podcast so far. Mm. And I think it's uh, very positive. But the interesting thing about it is, is the way in which they say, okay, now, there's certain things I totally agree with you on. Um, but I'm not so sure I buy into the whole big Baalism thing and <laughs> and the uh, gods of this world or how spellbound we are. Mm. And Sounds a little conspiratorial, maybe? Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> it's, it's extreme, it's, yeah. to say the least. Mm. And I think the value of that is to be able to understand that we are not done. Mm. Mm. And so I would be surprised. And it's kind of like I was talking to Nancy about this and... It makes me chuckle when I hear that because it's like, well, why would you? Uh, I haven't given you all the evidence yet. Mm. And I, I looked at it two ways. One was like a recipe. It's like, and so Nancy gave me the good, good illustration where she said, um, it's kind of like saying, okay, we're going to make cookies. And you put the butter and the sugar together and melt it. And you say to me, we have no cookie. It, it didn't turn out. And she said, well, there's a lot more ingredients mm. that have to go into it. Yep. So when people look at me right now and say, mm. yeah, I'm not so sure I buy into the whole thing. It's kind of like, well, you shouldn't. The cookie has not been made yet. Mm. Yep. Or kind of like the other illustration that goes in my mind is like making an atom bomb. Mm. If you substitute ingredients, you're probably going to blow up the neighborhood. <laughs> right. Right. You mm. have to be able to see the big picture. I didn't do this over a week or two, yeah. which is like if you sum up the podcast, right? I mean, yeah. it, it takes, I'm talking about a lot of people who have looked at this and then an accumulation of the way in which the Bible directs our thinking. Mm. And I always want to go back to that idea of the narrative. We want to stick with the narrative. And you know, in all fairness, when we were looking at even last week, about mirror neurons as what and Hollywood mm. and the river idea. That's why I wanted to stick with that theme of how we're going to go with the um, the flesh, the world, and the devil. Yeah. Because we want to see how it all fits with their pattern of how we're easily drawn into it. Mm. And that was my biggest thing. Because um, if we notice the opening scripture we used... It was the delight of God in saying that these are my children who will not lie. Mm. 
therefore I became their savior. And what I want to draw from that is just to be able to introduce this episode by saying we're children of the light because of what Christ has done for us. The truth is extremely important to yeah, God. That's right. Um, his whole reputation and being centers around absolute truth. I'm the way, the, tr the truth. truth. <laughs> yeah. The truth, not the a truth. truth. I am truth incarnate. That's a, And so we want to be able to tell the truth. Mm. And we've yep. talked about a few things like contradiction mm. um, and the way in which things are not lining up. And that was my big thing is, mm. is a faith that makes sense should line up with the truth. Yep. So I, I have a quote here from uh, Michel de Montaigne, and he was in the uh, 16th century. He wasn't, I'm not going to say he was a Christian or anything like that, but he makes a very mm. uh, pointed statement when he said, if, like truth, the lie had but one face, we would be on better terms. For we would accept as certain the opposite of what the liar would say. But the reverse of truth has a hundred thousand faces and an infinite field. Mm. Because it's able to shift. It's like a chameleon, right? As soon as you could narrow down one thing, they jump to another. Mm. And in conversations, I'm sure we've all experienced that where you're trying to make a point and they just go from one thing to another. And as Christians, we know that no matter how many arguments you defeat, they just come up with another one because it's an endless cycle of just saying, I don't want to believe, so I'm just going to continue yep. to ask it. But for us, truth is very important. And so that's why we want to be able to uh, move ahead today. And we're going to jump right back into it. Mm. Okay. okay. So what I want to talk about first is MacGuffins. Now, you're probably familiar with the term, right? Uh, but What term? MacGuffin? MacGuffin? Yeah. Do you know what a MacGuffin is? <sighs> no. What about a ragamuffin? You know who that is? Yeah. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> What's It's the musician. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, what was oh. his name? Ragamuffin Gospel guy. It was a ragamuffin band, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. He yeah. Had a, so, uh, yeah. I've heard of a ragamuffin, but okay. not a MacGuffin. A MacGuffin. <laughs> well, uh, actually, a MacGuffin is quite common. Okay. okay? So, and it, it was a... They say it was a term coined by Alfred Hitchcock, oh. but mm. others argue that point or whatever, but mm. that's not the real message. So who, though, is Alfred Hitchcock, right? For everybody who doesn't know or... Is he the film the director? Yep. Okay. The, one of the originals. Mm. One of the originals. So mm. I'm just going to read this uh, quote here. Uh, Hitchcock is one of the most influential and extensively studied filmmakers in the history of cinema. Known as the master of suspense, the Hitchcockian style includes the use of camera movement to mimic a person's gaze, thereby turning viewers into voyeurs and framing shots to maximize anxiety and fear. And so he he was one of the originals to really ex uh, bring into the cinema world the idea of, would you say, intrigue, mm. to draw people in. He, he, was, he was able to use the camera and 
the different points to be able to create that mood or that sense that you're there mm. and he, he studied because what's kind of odd for most of us is we live in the world of movies and television right night it's been a, a long around so long that we just take so much for granted but in the early years they were developing techniques as well as technology um, and all the other ways that they saw, okay, this works better, that doesn't work mm -hmm. better. Yep. And he was a master of suspense. Mm. And so he did the thriller movies, like Psycho is his, right? Yep. Um, but in what we want to talk about is uh, his understanding of the MacGuffin, because he didn't necessarily coin the phrase, but he exploited it. Mm. And the reason I want to do that is, is because if you listen to this, the way he did it, uh, the way he, he shared it, um, in a 1939 lecture at Columbia University in New York. So that's what he was giving. And here's, here's the way he describes it. And you'll understand in a hmm. minute why I'm going hmm. in this direction. It might be a Scottish name taken from a story about two men on a train. One man says... What's that package up there in the baggage rack? The other answers, oh, that's a MacGuffin. The first one asks, what's a MacGuffin? <laughs> well, the other man says, it's an apparatus for trapping lions in the Scottish Highlands. The first man says, but there are no lions in the Scottish Highlands. And the other one answers, well then, that's no MacGuffin. <laughs> So you see, a MacGuffin is actually nothing at all. And then he says, it's the thing spies are after, but the audience don't care. Mm. So that sounds a little complicated, maybe. But what he's actually saying is, if you say to yourself, oh, that's fake, that, that doesn't work then it's not captivating your attention when really it's there not to be able to be significant other than to carry the plot along. Mm. So now this is what Gabler says, and, and we'll mm. put the two together. A MacGuffin, Neil Gabler abbreviates, is a merely a plot device, the excuse for setting the whole process in motion though they have no intrinsic value. Mm. Okay, so what, why go in that direction? What am I getting at through a MacGuffin? A MacGuffin means sometimes that that flower is really ephemeral. Mm. And that's what we had talked about a little bit before, if you know you're traveling through. So like a good example of a MacGuffin, what would that be with Harrison Ford, right? Raiders of the Lost Ark. So the MacGuffin is the Ark. The whole movie revolves around the search for the Ark. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But really, it's just the plot device yep. to keep your attention mm -hmm. while you go through all the experience of the movie. Yeah, the journey. And so what he's what Hitchcock realized very early on was the idea that people really don't care about the MacGuffin. Yeah. And that's 
what they really want is the experience of the movie. Yep. So when you talk about, I, I, in fact, I like the way he put the one, it's the thing spies are after, but the audience doesn't care. No, they don't care. They don't care what it is. They just, they want to come along for the journey as the spies are looking for this whatever thing. That's right. Irrelevant thing almost. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So when you head in this direction and realize like with all movies, Star Wars, they're mm. going to save the world. Yep. And then we were kind of gave some examples in the last one about say the Matrix mm. or uh, Top Gun. Mm. Okay. So you, you have this sense of if that's a thermal and something that's really um, a vapor, mm. what is it that then that we really want? Right. What if, are we looking at? Yeah. If it's really not of any actual value, it's perceived right. value, but it's not of any actual value, right. why are we watching it? Right. Why are we buying in? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, for instance, a cowboy and Indians, uh, mm -hmm. which is switched now to the intergalactical Star Wars mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Yep. It, it really, how many times do you have to save the world? Mm. Right? Yep. So, but the next movie will come Same out thing. this year. Same Somebody's going to save the world again. Yep. Yep. Or save the child. Yep. Right? Yep. Out of the hands of evil people. Yep. Yep. And so... What we want to draw from a MacGuffin is how honest, and okay, we're coming back to our original quote here, mm. how honest are we about the truth that we're following something that we really don't care about? Mm. If we really don't care about the ending like we say we do, what is it we're actually trying to experience? So it kind of takes a bit of veneer off of this idea of, oh, I'm so glad that it ended that way, you know, where the shark is blown up in Jaws, right? Like, <laughs> right. You, you're trying to capture this shark. The whole movie is about capturing the shark. Yep. And one of the things we're trying to draw from is, well, what's happening during the movie? And what kind of events are going on while we're watching? Yeah. Because we just, we kind of covered in the other ones about Hollywood's filthy habits. Yep. Like it was, yep. the hum it was somewhat humorous, but it's not in the sense that it really goes against everything the Bible believes. Mm -hmm. So what are we willing to sit through? It's that it's, it's got, uh, you know what it's really, this is what it feels like to me. You go to McDonald's, okay, and you buy a hamburger and you say, well, you know what? Beef isn't necessarily bad. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it's like, oh, there's like this uh, sense of some nutritional value in there. Sure. But it's really ultimately the badness outweighs that tiny amount of well. slightly nutritional, nutritional value compared to the rest. And it feels very much like this is kind of the same thing that we're working into with these, with our entertainment world. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's slightly nutritional. I have this little bit there. But ultimately, everything else that's in there just makes it so little of any value. It, um, 
Yeah, but the but the interesting thing about it is is um, and I think that's what we want to draw attention to is as Christians we're engaging in these things in in a deep way, and I'm saying like spellbound and enslaved mm. because we're not we won't give them up. Mm. Um, so what what is the addiction like in in McDonald's? It's just because it tastes one it tastes really good because of the salt and everything else all the other <laughs> deep chunk fried stuff yeah. yeah i mean it does taste good right? yeah um but it's the same thing with movies though feels good the adventure yeah. feels good yeah right right and and that was the thing we were one of the things we mentioned before is we don't want to get i don't want to be too mechanical about it but really switching moods happy sad mm -hmm. funny mm -hmm. so those are real emotions that attract us yeah okay um, jumping among attention focuses, and we're going to talk about these things a little more later. But what? I, because I only wanted to bring out the uh, MacGuffin thing right now. That it really, whatever we think we're watching it for, is actually fake, mm. right? Yep. So w one of the things, though, with the MacGuffin is we are experiencing things that are dramatic mm. in other words they have to be enough to excite us yeah hold our attention that's, that's yeah. what makes the mood yeah right yeah and as we're going through the emotions as a christian how much are they affecting us spiritually mm. like the new testament comes to us in a way of a whole life approach and so one yeah. of the things we saw before, and that's, we want to keep with that, is the idea of when, um, uh, what's it called, talked about the river, um, four, William Four, mm. that we're being moved while we're watching. Yeah. But we're focusing on these individual events mm -hmm. at the same time we're being moved. And also we're being moved by images that aren't, something that is godly and christ-like yeah but we justify it by saying oh but the hero look at look at how godly the hero yeah. was who sacrificed his life in the yeah. end isn't that just like jesus mm -hmm. uh that's not why we were watching yeah and that i guess that's one of the things i want to get to right mm. so the whole point behind the MacGuffin thing is to blow the doors off of okay Whatever reason you think you're watching a movie for, you didn't go for that. Right. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to buy that. Mm. And for the very rare time that you think, I actually wanted to see, you know, something that was like Christ-like. Yeah. You know, where there was a mm. Christian theme all the way through. Right. And even, we'll get into that later. I don't want to, I don't really want to you know, downplay the idea of Christian films and that they put out. Yeah. Um, these organizations but if it did not have the features of a movie that would um, switch moods uh, jump among attention focuses and keep us watching we wouldn't go back yeah yeah and maybe that's maybe that's a good argument for why often like overtly Christian movies don't tend to do very well <laughs> yeah in fact, Maybe that's why yeah. is that is that a piece of the yes, puzzle here? It, yeah. Because they're kind of they're not bland, or they're not bland. It's not that they're bland. It's that it doesn't play on our emotions like 
our expectations are for other movies maybe as much. It doesn't uh, doesn't play around with our mm, our worldview as much as other movies would. It, and maybe that's why they're. I don't know. I, I'm. It's hard to say if that's exactly why, or if there's other reasons for it, or production level, or. But I wonder if that's a piece to the puzzle. I think is, it's a big piece. Yeah. In fact, I had a friend say once to me, he says, you know, Christian movies are getting better. <laughs> and my question was, are they just becoming more worldly? Right. right? What standard are, are you saying yeah. better? What What is yeah. making them better? And mm. it's usually the drama, mm. yeah. right? That's going to do it. Yeah. And the ability to spend more money on technology because yeah. it's becoming cheaper. Yeah. Right? You can do it yourself. Yeah. The, the problem is, really, when you start learning about narrative, you always learn about the climax. The climax is only really good if the valley was quite deep, right? right? And so, unfortunately, even in a Christian movie, if you want a really big climax, the the sad part has to be pretty sad, right? right. If if life is kind of like mediocre, <laughs> you know, the hero saves the family because the car broke down is not, it's not a good movie. <laughs> no, that's right. It's pretty even keeled, but... You know, but if there's suspense and someone yeah, happens know, to be there, the kid is kidnapped, kidnapped and dad yeah. has to go trudge through gangs and things down in the city. Well, now you're into great story. You know what yeah, I mean? Exactly. Very captivating. Like but... Taken, the movie Taken was a perfect <laughs> right, example. Right, that's a good example, of, actually. Yeah, yep. we're just out to save the you know these kids from being uh, yep. abused and yep. trafficked. And trafficked. Yep. Terrible, and, terrible thing. Yep, we want to see that dismantled. But the, but the <laughs> fact that people are brutally blown away. Oh, and, yeah. And like, there's torture in there. Oh, yeah. Like, it's, uh, you know, for sure. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to move on from MacGuffins okay. because that's that's the um, fleshly side that yeah. I wanted to get at is okay. the idea of we're there because we're experiencing these things. And as we saw with mirror neurons, that we are experiencing the two th same thing. Mm. So yeah, we're, we're there we're joining with in. them. Yeah. So really, I think one of the things I would like to keep as we go along a little bit is the idea for those who have seen like a Top Gun movie or mm. any of those kinds of things, uh, you're in the plane with them. Yeah. Because they're able to do it through yep. technique and camera that you're there. Oh, yeah. Okay. Except for the element that you know you're not there in the sense of the danger of actually being blown out of the sky or right. something, so, which is integral to a movie. Yeah. Okay, we'll talk about that later. But the whole idea is just to be able to draw attention to the fact that um, everybody knows that the plot device is only there to keep you moving. Yep. Keep you focused. Yep. Well, they on the task, the well, journey. Well, the, they sell you the images. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And you buy into that, right? That's part of what is a movie, right? You're buying into this. Yeah. world that's I, being presented right? yeah i think we're going to talk about that they call that verisimilitude oh yeah and yep. we're going to we're going to talk about that a little more later but uh, i just wanted to be able to introduce MacGuffins to mm. be able to say that the master of the whole thing like in in actually his psycho was a good example of it uh with norman who's a psychopath right mm -hmm. it's kind of like um in fact i have yeah, this was really good because this is a film critic, Ken Newman, and she's talking about Psycho 2. Mm. And she says, the wittiest dark joke is that the entire world wants Norman to be mad. 
And normality can only be restored if he's got a mummified mother in the window and is ready to kill again. Hmm. So the, the idea behind that is the fact that we don't want that normal yeah. life. The yep. whole idea behind a movie is to shock you, to, yeah. to give you something... Outside of normal. ...that's going to excite you. Yeah. Or like in drama, where drama ups the ante so far, your own life doesn't look very dramatic. Right, right. Yeah. And then, yeah, and becomes boring. But then, but then that's what highlights again of why we want to come back to a movie. Mm -hmm. Why we want to come back to... Uh, Plays, but and, and I'm not really zeroing in on there, but why we watch so much Netflix because normal is boring, mm. right? Yeah, uh, which is not the way God created us. Yeah, it's and that's actually when we Daniel Burstein that to come back to him, that's exactly what he draw, drew out as the major problem was it what he called extravagant expectation hmm. that all of a sudden. We ha enter into this society that everything has to be over the top. And he says beyond realism. Yeah. So what, it, and he calls it extravagant, extravagant expectation because now we have to feed ourselves on the idea of everything's going to be awesome. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? So we're, we're constantly have to be on a vacation we constantly mm, have yep. to be going here going there doing yep. something yep and in, that's not normal life yep. but anyway so we're going to move on mm. because i want to talk about dances with wolves yep and uh i'm going to start now i want you to know i have a tremendous amount of respect uh always have for charles colson mm. now he's passed away now mm. but he did the uh jail ministry right um, fantastic ministry reached tens of thousands of people mm. uh, and for the gospel mm. um, and by no means do I think that he is not uh, way ahead of me mm. in, as a Christian stalwart uh, servant of the Lord and I'm sure he's getting his reward now yeah. to whatever degree before the white throne mm. happens you know right. Right. Uh, I really want to make that clear because um, it, but it doesn't mean, and I, and actually I should say this right now, there is no such book in the Bible called the book of Eluhul, right? And why, why do I say that? Because in the book of Job, Eluhul is the guy who comes along at the end, just before God shows up yeah. and says, Job, you're not being straightforward about this. But what's really interesting, I find, is is why he even had to come up here. Yeah. He comes into the narrative after... He's the fourth he, friend, right? He's the fourth. Yeah. And he's not really one of his friends. The three friends were there, yeah. but then he just but steps But they weren't very forward. good. His friends had terrible advice. The Ter three friends. Yeah. Not very good. And then... Yeah. And God actually rebukes those three. Yeah, he does. And, yeah. and so Job has to pray for them. Yeah. And, and the Lord says he wants you to pray for them so that then they can be redeemed. Yeah. redeemed. Yeah. But he never says anything about Elihu. Yeah. And so the point being, I'm not trying to come across as Job here. Mm. It's Job is the one God says, have you considered my servant Job perfect and upright before me? Mm. Like it's the book of Job. It's yeah. not the book of Elihu. Yeah. 
But Elihu comes along and he says, hey, Job, this just isn't lining up. You know, you, you, you can't call God or, or infer that God is being unjust to you. And mm. that's basically what he was saying. Yeah, that's right. And he just wanted to be able to take that side. And then God appears right after that. That's right. Yeah. Right. Answer me like a man. Yeah. Brace yourself for battle. That's right. Yeah. Brace yourself like a <laughs> yeah. man because we're going to have a conversation here now. Yeah. Yeah. And so. Which I, is a grace, by the way. Have you ever thought about that? Oh, yeah. The fact that the Lord answers him. So oh, yeah. he doesn't have to. No. The Lord doesn't have to answer Job, but he does. Very few of us get answers necessarily on why things are happening. Uh, yeah. But Job does. Anyways, keep going. <laughs> no, no, I think that's very important. And that's and that's the reason I wanted to bring it up because I'm I'm not trying to come across as somebody that's a like going to make Charles Coulson look bad mm. and then mm. that makes me look better. That's not right. what I I right. really want to make a point here. So yeah. anyway. Okay, so I'm just going to give you this quote here now from his book mm. uh The Body, which was a really good book um if you haven't read it. Uh, because in it, he really challenges Western society. Mm. In fact, a lot like I am. Yeah. Okay, but here's a quote. Now, deconstructionism has invaded popular culture. The movies, for example. When I come home from a trip filled with speaking engagement, prison visits, and meetings, I need to relax and unwind. One way I do this is to watch a good video. After Dances with Wolves swept away the Academy Awards, Patty and I eagerly rented it one evening. Mm. Okay, so here you have him coming home and wanting to watch an Academy Academy Award winning movie, Dances with Wolves. And he goes on in the book to talk about the way deconstructionism has come into all the movies. Mm. And deconstructionism, for those who don't know, is is the way in which they we change history in order to suit modern relativism, mm. right? And... and uh, postmodernism yeah it's and liberalism basically it's it's the way in which we make the and i and i'm not trying to get into a, mm. a a volatile topic here yeah but it's the way in which we make all white people look bad and yeah the way well, we in which take, they oppressed others yeah and, we take modern values and ethics of today and apply it anachronistically to history and we say well we're looking back at these people and saying they're all so ethically uh, devoid because we're so superior. And we look back and we apply our current situation to them. Right. And their situation. And often from a soapbox. Yeah. <laughs> always, almost always. In a liberal soapbox. point of view. Yeah, of we want to yeah. change morals is what it is. That's right. That's the biggest yeah. thing. So he, he wanted to bring this in and just identify deconstructionism but mm. what i want to do is look at the nuances and that is is the fact that he wanted to watch an academy award-winning movie mm. and it was dances with wolves okay so now i want to talk about i want to give you a quote here from uh december 1990 christian home and school because lowell hagen did a movie review of dances with wolves and mm. here's what he's a christian yep. right christian yep. re movie review and here's what he says. Kevin Costner deserves thanks for bringing to the screen the first really honest film portrayal of the Native Americans. More than that, Dances with Wolves is a gripping story, powerfully told. It brought applause from an audience of film critics at an advanced press screening. And this is a hard audience to please. 
The difference is that in this film we are brought to understand the fear, the frustration, and the sense of en endangerment that led Native Americans to make war against the white settlers. And the use of Native American actors in the Sioux and Pawnee roles not only shows respect for the people and the culture, but also makes this the first Western film in which the faces actually look right. These are fine perform performances, full of life, dignity, and individuality. So this is a Christian mu movie review. And then I want another give one more Christian uh, review by Daniel Kunkel. Kunkel. And here it is. The conventional wisdom in Hollywood has been that people want to see R-rated movies. Therefore, directors and producers will do the strangest things to get an R rating so that they can pack in the audiences. Sometimes a t totally gratuitous scene will be placed in a film to get the desired rating. Kevin Costner's epic film, Dances with Wolves, is an example of this. The movie is beautifully photographed and gives a most unusual perspective on the life of Native Americans. There are, however, two scenes in the film that include nudity and sexual activity. Neither of these scenes is necessary, and any important dialogue during these scenes could have been placed in another context. Mm. So these are two Christian movie reviewers, and then the idea that Colson has seen it. And I want to, uh, I want to draw out from that is first of all the MacGuffin and that is the struggles of Native Americans um, trying to justify in which they kind of even said justified the war against mm -hmm. the white settlers mm -hmm. um, that's neither here nor there for us mm -hmm. now my point is and I'm always coming back to this this is quote unquote a movie and our expectations to see a movie want those dynamics mm. that we've talked about. Yep. So the MacGuffin is the Native American struggle. Yep. Okay. And now some people are going to say, yeah, but it's, it's important to understand that. That's true. Okay. That part is true. So now I want to give you one more um, hmm. quote. Mm-hmm. And uh, these people will come back again in the sense of, I call them the parents. Mm. Okay, so I'm going to use that in the future too because this is the parent kind of thing, okay? Yep. Okay, so here it is. Blasphemy, obscenity, nudity, fornication. Dances with Wolves had it all. After reading the glowing review in Christian Home and School, I thought Hollywood had finally produce something the family could watch together. Mm. Fortunately, my wife and I went alone to see it. We walked out at the point where the single Indian woman stripped naked prior to committing fornication with the hero of the film. Reviewer Logan, Lowell Hagen thinks this film should be seen by as many high school students as possible. Evidently, consciousness, consciousness have been so badly seared that they no longer flinch at blatant, immoral garbage. <laughs> okay, so, so why go there? And the question becomes, who is properly identifying the Christian, truthful perspective of what they're actually seeing? 
Now, I want to jump back just before you comment on that is mirror neurons. You cannot detach yourself from what you're experiencing. And when you're sitting there, it's not like you're going to invite me over and uh, uh, you're going to have a bunch of people over to your house. And all of a sudden, you and Sarah are going to start making out, right? No, yeah. Like that seems absurd. That's Yeah, it is. But, but I want to put this in, I want to put this in perspective but we'll gather in a room and watch actors do the same perform before us yeah that's insane yeah so mm -hmm. it and the thing is is that these are the ones that get awards and you see mm -hmm. how i want to bring in the idea of the distraction through deconstructionism like the 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 message of deconstruction in the makes it so that but the movie's okay it's just the problem that they did they had mm -hmm. deconstructive values in it or or philosophies right the other ones the movie reviewers looked at it from the point of view okay this is a great way to talk about native americans and to show mm. awesome photography and you're the experience you're going to have is going to be wonderful mm. but and, and I put this in quotes, the parents, I'm going to use them, is they did not leave their spiritual consciousness at home. And, and the question becomes, who's right mm -hmm. in this situation? And, I'm, and obviously, you, everyone listening to us would know the point that I'm coming from or the perspective I'm coming from. Yeah. But then we have to carry this over to other movies. Yeah. So that's why I talked about mirror on neurons first, mirror neurons first, is the idea, okay, if you say that you're not experiencing these things, I gotta, I'm just going to be straightforward and I'm going to say, you're lying. Hmm. Because we have now the technology that you could have got away with before, but you can't get away with anymore. Those same neurons are firing in you. So yeah. when you're when you're there with uh, Tom Cruise going in the plane, yep, uh, you're there. Yep, you're except to a lesser degree, mm -hmm. of course. Yeah, of course the adrenaline. Yeah. But if you weren't there, you wouldn't want to go. Yeah, you're you're going because you want to be there. You're going there because in most cases they're good-looking people. And one of the things I'm trying to draw from this is the idea that really we want to be friends with these people. These are um, our voyeuristic friends. Mm. And what kind of morals do these people have? What is their worldview? What is their thoughts about Christ? What is their thoughts <laughs> about um, uh, coming before God? And, and recognizing the supremacy of his love for us yeah. in Christ. I would say they can't coexist. And this is often why actors, powerful, influential people, have the greatest struggle to, let's say, bow before the king. Right. It, yeah. it's, a, it's a wonder... Still, that people talk about somebody like Billy Graham, who was so influential, but seemed to 
defy the norm in the way that he never really succumbed, wa- to, succumbed to things that mm-hmm. often, that almost always, if you're influential, powerful, wealthy, you know, any, any of those three or maybe all three at once, that somehow you just, you can't have a king that you bow the knee before. Yeah. And so these actors, like you're talking about, they have to exist in a world where the, there is no king above them. They almost have to operate in that way to, yeah, to live out their career, let's say, <laughs> in yeah. acting. Um, I, I wonder, though, I think because we will talk about this in the future, too, but there's a special, special features about what um, Postman brought out, and he called hamper viewer um, retention. Mm. And what is a good actor? A good actor causes you to believe what you're watching. Yeah. yeah. A bad actor can't fake it. Yeah. And he, in hamper viewer um, retention, what he brings out is the idea of a person was fired because they weren't credible to the audience. Mm. Um, And one of the things that we're going to look at seriously is why is Tom Cruise successful? Mm. Why is Harrison Ford successful? Why is Madonna? Why is, um, you know, are, are any of these actors... Um, probably one of the key ones some zero in on is Julia Roberts. Mm. Mm. What makes them good actors is because they can come across as believing what they're doing. Yeah, believable in what they're doing. Yeah. 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 The audience believes in what they're portraying. That's right. Now, then the question becomes, why is that important to us and what happens to us when it's believable? Right. The influence upon us as a result of buying in. That's yeah. the... It, it ultimately means there's a choice for, for all of us is where do you draw the line on your life? There's influence in every ways, in right. many, very many ways. But where is the line in which you say, I just, I, I can't let this in anymore. Right. <laughs> and that, that's, that's the rub, right, for a yeah. lot of us. And what I want to draw from this is the idea that we, they draw us in to this voyeuristic world, right? Yeah. Vicariously. Yeah. And that's the key to understand that we believe, and I'm going to use the word friends, mm-hmm. okay, we believe we're with them, that we're joining with them in the actions yep. that they are portraying. And the whole idea is is that as history moves along or as uh, science and society moves along, we've come a long way in this, the larger screens the better technology and the ability to make it seem like we're there. And that's what, like, obviously, uh, virtual reality is going to be the final phase of that where you feel as though you're in more than ever before. Mm. And here's my point. They're godly, wicked, Mm. 
horrible people who are portraying things that we are forbidden by Scripture to partake in. Yep. And, and I do not mean that in the sense that they are unsavable. I do not mean it in the sense that we are to demonize Sure, them. or that somehow we aren't coming from the same place. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. We are like them yeah. in that sense, but what they're... But here's the point... Such were that, some of you. You remember yes, that? Yes, that's, that's right. That's what Paul says of, of Christians. Such were some of you. Such, such was I, but by right. the grace of God, you know. And yeah, that was the passage I was going to use from Galatians. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. Galatians 5, hmm. um, where it draws that out. Yeah. And and I guess that's that's what I'm trying to get us to wrap our heads around. Yeah. We're joining with them in their fantasy. It's a, And here's, here's a key feature of it. It's mediated. It's orchestrated in every single way to yeah. turn out how they want. Real life does not do that. Yeah. So we're always going to be, have this, and if I can put it in this term, orgasm of fun mm. because they've designed the whole movie for our fleshly, lustful gratification. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And and they know what they're doing at each point along the way in order to make this happen. And so the question, who can dance with wolves? Mm. Not a Christian. Right. A Christian should not do that. But here's, here's what I want to kind of uh, almost finish with. There's two points I want to end with. Mm. One is the parents' words. And that's why I want to come back to them. I I have, like, I think those movie reviewers have kind of become jaded. Yeah. Because you've seen too much. And yeah. I'm, I'm going to explain that in, in the professors of um, Schultz and Romanowski. The problem is when you go in that world too deeply, you become too jaded. Yeah. To be able to give an accurate... Yeah, your objectivity um, is gone, right? On that sense. Yeah. But if you notice what the parents said, it is it is the telltale sign of where our problem lies. And they said, finally, a movie has been produced where the whole family can see. Hmm. Why are we as Christians waiting for some epic movie... <laughs> that's going to meet the standards yeah. of the Bible. Right. What, what is it that finally? Yeah, what finally? finally? Yeah, why finally? What, what, that's a what weird is phrase. wrong? What is wrong with the glory of the Christian life? <laughs> yeah, why do we need something else? Do we need a movie <laughs> to finally yeah. come in? and? Yeah. But, it, but it shows, mm. and I, this is what we're getting at, yeah. and that's where I come back to Spellbound yeah. and Enslaved. Yeah. Because we can't, we don't want to give it up. Yeah. I think we should say, though, that I would say most Christians okay. would say this this movie okay. reviewer, mm-hmm. it's a pretty bad movie review from a Christian worldview. Let's just be honest. Like, it's it's a good example yeah. of somebody who, like, has been around the world, the world of movies for a right. long time. Right. He's looking at it from a oh, yeah. academic standard, yeah. you know, yeah. beautiful photography and social you know, camera and... So, you know, there's a little bit of that um, 
ivory towerness. It sounds like, but it's a pretty bad review. The official one, and then right. the parents come in. They're like, like give your head a shake. Right. <laughs> Let's just look at this objectively. Here's the Ten Commandments. <laughs> yeah. How did we do? <laughs> yeah. Is I'd, it? But I guess I would. Yes, and I totally agree. Yeah. But if you notice with um, Coulson. Mm-hmm. He That's told, where we are, though. Coulson's a good idea of, of where most of us are. Yes. Okay. We're not the movie reviewer. Right. And maybe we're not where the parents are. Right. We're somewhere between the two. And we're playing on the fence a little bit. We're and using the MacGuffin <laughs> yeah. to yeah. be able to distract what yeah. we're really out for in this. Yeah. And maybe, and maybe that's not even actually on the forefront of your mind. But you're maybe not going to turn it off the moment you see it and be like, oh, that's it. I, it's in there and I'm done with it. Exactly. The moment I see anything bad, cut it off. Right. I'll be honest. Mm-hmm. Up until recently, this probably wasn't my response. But I'll just be frank. Like Sarah and I, right. if we're watching, and if there's any real overt junk in it, it's like mm-hmm. off right yeah. away. Right. This is more recent, though. Yeah. I will be uh, honest. Yeah, and I As think that's important. As the world has gotten crazier, and mm-hmm. even before we were having these conversations, it was like, what are we doing? And it was the same thing. I remember you talk about like watching actors like make out on screen or whatever. Yeah. That was the most awkward thing when I was in high school. I was like, what? Yeah. Yeah. What are we doing? Yeah. If we're hanging out with friends or whatever, watching this movie, I'm like, this is weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so weird to me. Yeah. It was, a, but it, I would never say it, maybe. And maybe it was no, just in the back of my mind. Yeah. And this is normal, quote unquote, normal for the culture that I live in. So. But, but this is a person with a conscience, though. And this is a person with the Holy Spirit, right? Yeah. And actually being sanctified and growing in sanctification. But what about the, and that's what I want to be able to distinguish between, is the 95% of people that just don't care. In fact, this yeah. is what they want. Yeah. And we're talking about mild films yeah. compared to... Yeah, rated R stuff. Yeah. That's over the top. Yeah. So, okay, so my last point, because we want to move on from this episode, but yep. I wanted to bring out the idea of MacGuffins. Let's be honest, which ones are just totally Star Wars material? Mm-hmm. You know, like, it's like, we're going to save the galaxy again. Yeah. Well, you not. You just want to watch <laughs> pictures. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. And, and see things that you can't normally experience. That's right. Yourself. I love Star Wars. Don't get me yeah. wrong. I love yeah. it. I live on Star Wars, but there is no actual <laughs> thing to save. The rebellion against the Empire. Yep, it's the yeah. Death Star again. We're going to blow it up, and everyone yeah. goes home. Okay, so I'm going to give this last illustration and see if it makes a point. Okay. Um, we are going to talk about, uh, and hopefully in the future, definitely uh, Malcolm Muggeridge again, because he's one of the people that uh, definitely nails this down. And he wrote a book called Christ in the Media. And uh, uh, he gives an illustration in his autobiography. And um, he calls it the Chronicles of the Wasted Years. Mm. And uh, he was in uh, India as a represent. His work took him there. And he had been there for a while and away from his wife. Mm. And so one morning he goes out into the uh, ocean to early in the morning to have a swim. 
And he notices a ways over an Indian woman that had gone down to bathe in the water. And he says to himself, well, you know, a miles away, thousands of miles away from home and everything. And it's been a long time and everything. Hmm. And he just has these urges. And he says, I'm a rich Westerner to them. They have no money. And he said, I'll just buy her. Hmm. He said, so he said, and she'll be happy to get the money hmm. um, to take advantage of her. Hmm. And so he starts swimming towards her. And he said, as he keeps swimming, he knows he's swimming against his conscience. Mm. And he keeps going, but he realizes, I shouldn't be doing this, but he just keeps stroking in the water mm. to go towards her. And when he gets a few feet away from her, she looks at him in total shock mm. that this man is approaching her this way. And he realizes she's a leper. Mm that her nostrils are gone hmm. and her body is all covered in, in decay. Yeah, leprosy. And he hmm. says to himself, what a lecherous woman. And a few seconds go by and he says, what a lecherous man hmm. I am. And the reason I give that uh, illustration is to realize I'm hoping that we'll begin to realize that as we swim through the swamp against our conscience knowing that the things we're seeing and hearing that when we get to that MacGuffin mm. when we get to that thing that we think is so important that this is the reason we're watching we'll realize it's the enemy. Yeah. He's just luring us in mm. and there's nothing there. Yeah. Um, mm. And look into our own hearts and ask ourselves, why are we watching? And should we be watching as Christians? Mm. That's the question. Yeah. We shouldn't be dancing with wolves. So that's the uh, powerful that's a great way to end honestly end? yeah really so there it is it, it lo makes me look at my own yeah. heart oh, I absolutely. mean like yeah that's the yeah that's the thing that's so anyway and I I definitely want to move on and well uh, bring this episode to an end yeah but uh, well thank you guys for listening it was a great ending honestly not much more needed to be said than that um, so we thank you guys for listening and if you guys have any comments or questions feel free to uh, send us an email we're at faith that makes sense at outlook.com just type that out fully and uh, yep we're wishing you a uh, blessed Christmas we're, uh, we're getting close here if we don't have another one out by then we're wishing you all a Merry Christmas and a good holiday so thank you all for listening and uh, we love you all in Christ we Amen. wish you Yep, we wish you the best. <laughs> all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away, but the word of life in our Lord Jesus Christ endures forever. <laughs>